0: Welcome to the eDiscovery Basecamp with Steve and Jack, where we cover all things eDiscovery and beyond. Tune in each week for a new episode featuring hot eDiscovery topics, amazing guests, and several other surprises. Let's adventure together.
1: Okay, well, welcome back, everybody. You have just entered eDiscovery Basecamp once again. My name is Steve Hartwig. I'm with Tech Data, and... Sitting here with me
0: is Jack Hartwig. It's true. I'm right here. Yeah. Hi, Jack. <laughs> How are you? I am. I'm doing wonderful. It is a wonderful uh, sunny day here in Minneapolis. How about yourself? I'm doing just great. Beautiful spring day. You're right. Sun
1: is shining, mid 50s outside. Uh, it's a good day for a walk.
0: Um, yeah. Perfect day for a walk. Well, today we have. A very interesting scenario to talk about, but it's complemented by a timeless tale, and that is is a story of David and Goliath. It really
1: represents a a story of a very small law firm in Minneapolis uh, several years ago that we worked with that went head-to-head against about a dozen very large firms all of them much larger than this one small firm. Uh, It it looked like a a daunting task, but the outcome was really pretty spectacular. uh, The title of this podcast is David and Goliath.
0: And Steve, I know you know the story well. So... I know bits and pieces of the
1: story, Jack. I know that David was the youngest son of Jesse. David would become king of Israel hmm. short, not too long after this battle with Goliath. There's a little bit of dispute about David's age, but the one thing that's not disputed is that he was the youngest of the sons at the time.
0: And how many how many sons total? It's
1: somewhere between seven and eight. Okay. And a couple of daughters okay. belonging to Jesse. So, you know, family of Ten kids, roughly, David being the youngest. And as the story goes, the Israelites were faced with a battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines were known to be a much larger stock, <laughs> yeah. much, much larger people. They were considered giants in comparison. To everyone else, so physically uh, they were intimidating, and they had one guy in their uh, army at the time, Goliath, who was the largest of the, of them all, towering mm. over the Israelites. So they were faced uh, with this threat in this battle, and the Israelites really didn't want to fight the Philistines. So the arrangement was made. Uh, that the Philistines would put out one warrior and the Israelites could offer one warrior. And whoever won the battle between those two, that country would have control over the other. So guess who the Philistines picked?
0: Hmm. I'm going to have to go with Hunch here, and I think that might be Goliath. You are correct. Wow, it was Goliath. He was
1: known to be the strongest, the largest, the more, the most feared. Uh, and interestingly, so I'm not. I'm not exactly sure how Jesse's family was uh, central to the selection process, mm-hmm. but there was a, a process where each son was considered. Okay. And each son was uh, rejected, and it finally came down to David, the youngest son. David was chosen. Wha- David. David was not a member of the Israelite army. So why why
0: pick David? Well, maybe you can answer that question, Jack. Leg- legend. Ha- I mean. There's multiple sources. You,
1: I'm sure you've heard some theories. I've of, heard
0: some the, I mean, some would say he was chosen. Some would say he was just the right fit for the job, I guess. I mean, it, to me, it sounds like the, the older siblings passing the buck along where, you know, on the weekend, your mom asks you to go vacuum the house. So you go to your younger sibling and you say, hey, mom says to vacuum the house, and then it kind of keeps going down this chain. You know, that could be it, too. I don't no, know. This,
1: this was a a little more treacherous, a little more serious than vacuuming the house. I don't know. I don't know. But have you seen my house? Well, I've seen you vacuum. So, <laughs> yes. I mean, it may be a good good analogy. So, anyway, but, long story short, David was chosen. So, customary to the time, uh, it was decided by King Saul that David should wear his armor if he's going to go. Fight against the fierce and tough and very ferocious Goliath, mm-hmm. and Saul was uh, a grown man. David was younger, not fully mature. He put on Saul's armor; it was very heavy. It was didn't fit him well. Uh, he was given Saul's spear, which was also very heavy. Mm-hmm. And guess what? Well, not spear, but I guess sword. So guess what? Uh, guess what? David's reaction
0: was. Hmm. Um just, I, I don't know, sat there under the weight of the armor?
1: Well, I wasn't there either, but I, I right. do uh, understand that he decided this was not a good fit for him. All this armor was weighing him down. He was had never worn it before, was mm-hmm. not comfortable with it. Um, we do know what David's uh, method of killing Goliath was,
0: yeah, that was the uh the sling, the rock and the sling and David to my knowledge was sort of the chief defender of his family's flock of sheep and That's right. where he was from there were various, you know, lions, tigers and bears and all kinds of terrible creatures lurking about trying to pick off his sheep and he got really really good with that rock and sling to where he could pretty much single-handedly defend this entire herd from these hulking animals that you know they're they're so is
1: it a herd or a flock a flock i should say yeah i I get confused with that too i I don't really know for sure
0: herd flock we'll go we'll go with (laughs) flock for consistency's sake um so, so Flock sounds right. Flock sounds right. Yeah. So he would protect his flock with this sling and this rock, taking on all kinds of horrid beasts, whether it be in the day or at night, just really watching over this flock well and really mastering this almost primitive tool for defense.
1: So David really had experience doing this. Tons of experience. Okay. So it wasn't a fluke that he, being a smaller guy was able to pick up a couple stones off the
0: ground uh fling one at Goliath and drop him dead. No it was it was no accident and through all of his years of practice and and you know now not only was he protecting the sheep flock he was protecting his whole you know his his countrymen.
1: So what was it about this battle that was so critical? What's what's the one aspect of it That stands out in your mind that maybe is unlike other battles, um, unique to the situation, Uh,
0: uh, an achievement that David had to accomplish in order to be effective. One person, one chance, one shot. One shot to get it right. One shot to get it right. Absolutely. That was it. And that segues perfectly into the scenario that we were involved in, where it was a very similar David and Goliath story, where it came down to that one shot, that one chance, and the stakes were pretty high. So fast forward a few thousand years,
1: and we were called by a relatively small, well, let not even say relatively, it was a very small law firm. In Minneapolis, about 10 or 12 lawyers uh, who had landed a large case. They were on the plaintiff side, going up against uh, multiple defendants, uh, all represented by pretty large firms. And I think there were about 12 firms involved on the defense, and this one little firm here in Minneapolis uh, fighting against them. They had a good case. It was worth about eight figures, well into eight figures. And uh, it was prosecuted over the course of three, four, five years, something on that order. Um, We got called because the firm had never uh, really done anything with e-discovery in the past. And this was uh, going to be their first opportunity. And in the initial meeting with the attorneys, I told them that a starting point that uh, we were going to initiate was setting a standard operating procedure for their workflow and for our workflow working with them. And as soon as I said the word standard operating procedure, I got chuckles from the crowd and I said, what's up? And they said, we don't work with standard operating procedures here. That's just not a thing. And I said, well, guys, it's going to be a thing. (laughs) If you're gonna be successful in in this case, you gotta trust me, that absolutely has to happen. And here are some reasons for it. Um, We're gonna have multiple uh, movements of the same type. If we don't standardize those movements, uh, we're gonna have inconsistency. And it's not gonna be difficult. The, The SOP that we're gonna write is only gonna be a few pages long. It's gonna be easy to understand. Uh, but it's going to regulate how you review documents, how you tag documents, how you do a privilege review, uh, how we export, et cetera. Um, so long story short, we set that SOP. It really didn't take long for them to learn it. And over time, they became more and more autonomous with that process. We still ran all of the productions for them. Uh, We did the uh, conflict checks after their review. But that case uh, lived through, uh, I think it was 49 productions overall. So it wasn't just a handful. It was was many. And we actually had a a batting average at 1,000%. We didn't have a single mistake. And it was really because we had – set a standard operating procedure. And the people working that procedure actually honored the procedure and, and they believed in it. And after a few times of uh, running some pretty large productions, they, these were on the order of 45, 50, 60,000 documents each, uh, they were pretty impressed that everything was going out orderly and without complaint from any of the defendants. Hmm. There's a story within the story here. And uh, about 20 productions into this case, uh, the lawyers were in the midst of taking depositions. And during breaks, uh, lawyers would go and get a glass of water, or use the restroom, whatever. And I would hear conversations that were happening during those breaks, and some of the questions being asked were, "How is it that you guys, this tiny little firm, are managing to pull off fifty thousand document productions, get them to us on time, all intact, and we're we're up till two o'clock in the morning trying to produce six documents. They were completely bewildered, didn't understand it. They had inside." Uh, lit support uh, services most of the time. I, I think the plaintiff's lawyers just kind of shrugged their shoulders, didn't reveal any of their secrets, and went about doing what they were doing. Um, the end result of that case was that it settled uh, fairly, fairly early in the process. Uh, they'd gone through uh, dis, you know discovery, fact discovery, expert witnesses and so forth. When it came down to settling it, I guess I should say it settled uh, pretty quickly, pretty easily. And it settled at a level where the two senior partners in the firm retired just a few months later. So it was a very, very good result. Uh, I remember a, a big celebration afterwards, and um, uh, everybody on the plaintiff side for sure was very happy with the
0: outcome well that was two parallel stories from two very different points in time but very similar stories very very similar absolutely well thanks so much for tuning in this week i'm jack and this is steve and this is the e-discovery base camp any uh closing thoughts steve just our, our typical reminder, want you to
1: uh, remember to let the people around you know that they matter. Have a,
0: great, have a great week. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of the eDiscovery Base Camp. If you have any questions, comments, or want us to cover a certain topic, email us at info at We'll see you next week.